Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Coffee and Football, presented by Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. I'm your host, Blake Monroe, where I'm joined each and every morning by Bobby Burton and C.J. Vogel. And what a big day for the Longhorns yesterday. They grabbed two players out of the portal, portal uh, Silas Bolden and Kendrick Blackshire. What do they bring to the table, guys? Uh, well, I'll, I'll start with Bolden. I mean, I think he brings uh, touchdowns to the table. Uh, five touchdowns receiving last year, two rushing, one in a punt return capacity. Um, he's not very big. Uh, he's 5'8", 155, 160 apparently. Uh, but uh, you know what? I think that this is a uh, situation where we see Sark kind of morphing his offense in front of our eyes right now. Uh, he, he doesn't feel like he has to go with a big receiver, a deep threat, et cetera. He may be just trying to go deep threat, period, and speed, period. Uh, adding guys like Isaiah Bond, uh, Silas Bolden, and, and Matthew Golden, uh, pairing them with guys like Jonte Cook and maybe a Ryan Wingo, that, that's what it is. It's not size. It's, it's just outright speed that gets after it. And so I think that's what we're seeing from there. From a, from a, a, a Kendrick Blackshire perspective, it's a downhill run stopper. Uh, CJ, you can talk a little bit more about him. You look, you did some uh, deep dive on him with the pro football focus guys. Yeah, he is strictly a between the tackles kind of linebacker for the Texas Longhorns. Uh, a strong addition, a guy that has three years experience playing in the SEC at Alabama. Uh, not necessarily on the field a whole lot. However, when he is on the field, he is inside the box. He's a guy that you don't range too far outside into open space. You want him contained coming down the hill uh, to fit run needs. Uh, everything along the lines of that inside the box. Out of 102 defensive snaps last year, 98 of them came inside the box. Only four of those 102 came outside or in on the defensive line. So a guy that you strictly see around the, the, the line of scrimmage inside the box, uh, but nevertheless more talent, more depth coming to that linebacking room as they look to fill the hole left by Jalen Ford uh, heading into in the next season. Well, guys, the other thing that we need to talk about this morning, coaches on the road, obviously recruiting doesn't stop even after a couple of big commitments yesterday. What's the latest there? Well, it's interesting. I uh, got news today that uh, Steve Sarkeesian was expected down in Houston today. He may actually still end up in Houston at some point. Uh, but as of yesterday afternoon, he was expected to be in Houston. As of this morning, uh, he's not. Uh, could be a couple different things going on. One, midweek visits from portal candidate like Jabbar Muhammad. Okay, that may have been solidified. Two, Amari Nyblack, the tight end out of St. Petersburg, Florida, by way of the University of Alabama. He officially entered the portal yesterday. Okay, last night, the name actually went in there. Um, the, the bottom line is, if Texas can get to those guys um, and get them in, then that means that Sark's going to end up either going to St. Petersburg to meet with Nye Black and his family, just like he did Isaiah Bond going to Georgia and meet with his, or he's waiting for guys to come into Austin on official visits. Otherwise, Sark would be out and about uh, meeting uh, with the recruits. He may still go to some recruits locally, et cetera, or just have to chop, uh, chop down his list a little bit. Uh, but the reality of it is I think some things are coming to pass right now and breaking uh, that we don't have all the news on quite yet. Uh, but I do think some some uh, some things are in the wind, uh, particularly with Amari Nyblack uh, and possibly with Javar Muhammad as well. Muhammad was expected to visit on Wednesday, but with the weather, I'm still not sure if he's coming in 
because uh, he was going to drive down. So uh, we'll see how all this goes. Uh, my take on it right now is it's pretty clear. Um, Texas has uh, – they just got a rare opportunity right now with Nick Saban leaving to go to the NFL. I mean, that's that's the bottom line. With Nick Saban going – NFL, retiring, my, my apologies. With Nick Saban retiring, that has put all of Alabama's football team on notice. Uh, Isaiah Bond making a quick decision for Texas. Uh, Nye Black now on the portal. Caleb Downs officially announces he's in the portal. Um, a lot of their top players doing that. And now you have the turmoil at not only there, but Washington and Arizona. This uh, domino effect is is playing playing a havoc a little bit, in my opinion. And then, of course, the recruiting going through the weekend, junior day. I mean, just prospect after prospect after prospect. No other way to put it. DJ, what are you up to now on your prospect list? And who are some of the bigger names that fans can expect? Yeah, we actually just uh, got together this morning and added a couple more names to the list. I think we're up to 93 on the list that we've compiled here at On Texas Football. That's not including some names that haven't uh, publicly confirmed that they're heading to Austin, as well as some late additions that we expect later in the week uh, to be added to this list as well. So uh, all in all, I think it's safe to expect over 100 total prospects coming to the to campus this weekend. It's going to be one of the larger, uh, more talented junior days that I've covered since I started covering recruiting. And, and from seemingly every position, uh, aside from quarterback in the 2025 class in which you already have your guy in K.J. Lacey, there are studs at every single position from every single class coming in, and that's exciting. You know, Texas is winning on the field. Recruits want to see that. This is the result of it. Uh, it's really encouraging right now. I'm looking at guys like Jordan Davison that we've talked about in the past, Kelshawn uh, Johnson down out of Hitchcock as well, big-time playmakers. The offensive line is a who's who from the state of Texas in terms of talent coming in, prospects from inside the state of Texas. There aren't many ranked offensive linemen in the state that are not going to be at Texas this weekend. And that's certainly encouraging. And obviously going down to 2026, I want to point out uh, John Turntine from North Crowley. He was in that conversation that I heard a few weeks ago as the best overall player in the state. Though 2026, he is coming down to Texas. He is getting a crack at looking at uh, campus, meeting with the coaching staff, everything along the lines of that. So certainly encouraging and it, it won't be long. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we come back tomorrow and have this list over 100 total prospects. So uh, really encouraging and going to be a crazy weekend for the Texas staff. Hey, CJ, when you and I uh, shot the recruiting breakdown yesterday, we had the total at 77. As of this yes. morning, we now have the number at 93. Yep. I mean, just growing. I, yeah, just think of that. I mean, we, we said I bet it gets over as, uh, uh, over 100, and it's well on its way. Uh, this this is the this is why I think there's two issues. One is this it's indicative of how hot Texas is as a school. It's the cool school, so to speak, uh, on the recruiting trail. But it's also indicative of a team uh, that I don't think they're going to push for a lot of commitments. This is more going to be a getting to know you type of type of junior day event as opposed to a laser focused. OK, we're going to bring in 10 guys and try to get five or six commitments. Now, there may be a couple out of this, but it feels more like a broad-based approach to start, uh, and Sark's going to continue to do what he does. He kind of just – he doesn't over – I mean, he's not a guy that rushes recruiting. Uh, he's willing to wait a little bit to make sure he gets the right guys. 
And we have a uh, question regarding the junior day from Jason. He says, with junior day upcoming, how much will Texas not having a defensive line coach affect high school recruiting and portal players? Well, I think it could affect them a lot. I think that, uh, you know, and I'm, I'm here to report, I think that Rod Wright is likely the leading candidate right now for the defensive line job at the University of Texas. He's the assistant defensive line coach for the Houston Texans right now. Um, he is uh, a former player at the University of Texas, has coached at Texas uh, UTSA, the University of Miami, as well as uh, in the NFL now, uh, a former player. I'm being told that he is definitely in the mix, if not the guy at this point. Uh, I can't go further than that in saying he's definitely it, uh, but that is what I'm hearing. I do think it's going to be an NFL guy at this point, um, and that, that tells me that it's most likely – Rod Wright, assistant defensive line coach for the Houston Texans. He is probably waiting out his situation right now with the Texans. Obviously, they play this weekend in the playoffs. Um, it has caused some consternation. There's no doubt. It was reported yesterday that DeAndre Robinson was released from his NLI, his national letter of intent. Um, and he is likely, I'm told, to go to the University of Florida now, which finished second for him in the first place. Um, but uh, that has caused some consternation. Uh, Dylan Battle out of uh, Mansfield, not expected in this weekend for Junior Day, in part because Texas doesn't have a, uh, a defensive line coach yet. I do think it matters. I don't think it's time to, to uh, be overly concerned, if that makes sense. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian has proven time and time again that he'd rather make the right hire in the right amount of time as opposed to jump the gun. So I, I think we, I think uh, he has earned uh, that. I don't want to say respect, but earned that that uh, idea that he can get things done on his timeline and get it done the right way. And then we have one other question regarding Junior Day, guys. Uh, this one from Mark J. What do they even do at Junior Day with that many guys? Well, that's the golden question right there. But. No, the, the staff does a great job of finding ways for all kids to be involved during junior days. Uh, there will be, you know, physical tests taken in the sense of getting measurements, hand sizes, shoe sizes, height, weight, everything along the lines of that. You're also going to uh, have kids, you know, suit up, throw up the horns, get in gear. Uh, that was a big part of previous junior days. Uh, I know the NCAA actually passed a rule in which, you know, uh, getting into jerseys and having photo shoots uh, will no longer be a part of visits. Uh, however, you know, being able to tour the facilities, see the locker rooms, see the, the the rehabilitation centers as well, that's big. And then obviously, you know, kind of parading around campus and on DKR is a big part of junior day, as well as just sitting sitting face to face with a future position coach or Steve Sarkeesian and getting to establish that relationship a little bit longer, uh, getting to sit down and see how you fit in the Texas scheme. Uh, that is big. It's great FaceTime for the parents. It's great understanding for the kids and where they see fit uh, as a Texas Longhorn should they choose the school and their recruitment. It is a big uh, relationship establisher as the team, you know, really starts gearing into full 2025 focus, which they've kind of been gearing to as, a, as of the late, last couple of months. But now they're fully here and they're ready to roll in 2025. Okay, guys. Well, it's going to it's gonna be a uh... – a heck of a day with that many prospects. I just can't believe there's that many big names coming in. But now we're going to go back to what you just said, Bobby. I was waiting for the chat to kind of catch up on this. Um, and Bobby TD Brown says, if it's Rod Wright, why not announce it? 
And then I'm going to add one more uh, from Nathan. If it's Rod Wright, why can't he accept the job? Will Harris was the assistant secondary coach with Chargers and left midseason to be Florida's DB coach. Can you kind of explain the dynamic there? I can't explain that dynamic. I mean, this I said he's the leading. I My sources tell me he's the leading candidate. Is he definitely it? I can't say that. And so if he's not definitely it, I don't know why he's not saying it. That's what I'm trying to get at, guys. Um, but I, I do believe that that's the situation there. Um, we'll see if, if other things come to pass. I do believe it's going to be an NFL coach as well. Uh, and so that is what I'm hearing right now. Uh, any more than that, as far as getting into the intricacies of why it can't be announced, um, maybe he wants to, to bide his time with the Texans and play that out and give them everything he's got right now. I mean, Chris Jackson famously last year said he had no interest in the Texas job while he was the wide receivers coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars where they, while they were in the playoffs. Okay. Two weeks late, I put it out that he was the leading candidate. Two weeks later, he's hired by the university of Texas. So you, you've got to remember it, I don't, we don't control how they do things. Uh, they do it on their own time frame and how they want to do it. Uh, and that's where it's at right now. Okay, guys. Well, before we move on, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell everybody out there about Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. Yeah, absolutely. Adam and his group uh, have been helping injured Texans for a couple decades now. Uh, Blake, you know that, uh, guys. Uh, Adam and his group, if you've been injured on the job uh, at or, or uh, injured in a car wreck, uh, truck wreck, uh, bicycle accident, anything like that, give Adam and his group a call, 512-280-0800. Or visit them at LoweyLawFirm.com. That's LoweyLawFirm.com. Uh, the thing about Adam and his group, they give a free consultation before signing any paperwork, et cetera, to make sure they think you're also due some compensation. Give them a call. 512-280-0800. All right, y'all. We have a uh, super chat that we need to get to real quick from Blake. And Blake says, why an NLI if they can just leave whenever? I think this is a it's a as a as a certain scenario. I mean, with DeAndre Robinson, guys. I mean, his his coach left. Texas could sit there and be ornery about it and uh, not say it didn't matter, et cetera. But I think Sark, you know, if you don't want to be here, you don't want to be here. Sark does is not one of those guys that's going to hold it over somebody's head like that. That that's my feeling on it. And so, rather than worry about that, just let him go. All right, y'all, we have Bob Shipley coming up here momentarily. Uh, but before we get to him, obviously, we're going to do some more questions here. And let's take this one from David Bear while we've been on the subject of coaches. He says, any news on what happens with Coach Akina? I think we were all excited about the prospects of that hire. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, long story short, uh, Texas hires its analyst in the, in the neighborhood. It's really a... a off the field role where older coaches feel like they're, they can have some input and just keep their, their foot in the, in the game. Right. So those guys normally get paid normally 50 to a hundred thousand dollars a year. It's not that like they need money. All Arizona right now is potentially offering the opportunity of an on field role for Dwayne Aquino. Okay. The difference in salary there is about three to $400,000 a year. So that's what's that's what's happening. As of yesterday, he had not done anything anywhere, either with Arizona or with 
uh, Texas leaving Texas at this point. So I want everybody to understand that. Um, that is from uh, that is from someone very, very close to him. I'll just put it that way. So anybody presupposing what he's going to do, I think unless he's offered an on-field role at Arizona, I, I don't think he's going back to Arizona. If the, he is offered indeed an on-field role at Arizona, I think he was definitely going to take that because, look, $400,000 a year is $400,000 a year. I mean, what do you expect? <laughs> and then we have a super chat from Jay Gibby. And he says, Alabama safety, Caleb Downs just uh, got started the team's portal process. Are we going after him? I think every school in the country would be interested in adding a freshman All-American, one that was impactful from the, the very minute that he stepped foot on campus. The issue here with Caleb Downs is, I've heard over the weekend, he's already started telling people that there's only two schools and only two coaches that he's ever wanted to play for and trust the ability to be developed by. The first is Nick Saban, who just retired, and the second is Kirby Smart. Uh, and so I would look for Georgia here to be uh, really the biggest player early on. Can Texas make headways? Absolutely. Uh, but Texas is now looking at a defensive a defensive back room that has a lot of pieces coming back with Andrew Makuba. J Jabbar Muhammad's obviously in the mix. Jade Barron is here. I'm not saying they wouldn't take Caleb Downs, and I'm not saying he wouldn't play at the University of Texas. But thinking about the future, it makes sense for Texas to not go full-on pursuit here. And also, knowing the background of this recruitment, it's it's looking like it's going to be an Alabama to Georgia move rather than an Alabama to Texas move, in which we have seen uh, kind of frequently as of late. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. All right, y'all, this next question here is uh, from Arsh Charnel, and he says, is Caldwell the only portal visitor that's been offered who Sark has missed on? Whatever they are doing on portal visits, keep it up. <laughs> well, I think that that's part of it. Caldwell uh, is an interesting scenario because, he, as I mentioned from the very outset, he had some grade issues that needed to, to be uh, uh, worked through. Um, and frankly, I think that it with the Bo Davis move to LSU, combined with some still question marks around that, it made Oregon an easy pull for him. Uh, that was that was the, the 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 straw that broke the camel's back was Bo Davis moving to, to LSU. As far as other guys in the portal, C.J. Daniels was offered the, the the wide receiver out of Liberty, but when Isaiah Bond went in, I, I think that changed the dynamic for Texas and who they wanted uh, from from that big time receiver spot uh, in the in the portal. So uh, yes, I mean there are there are other guys. They're going to continue to be other guys that Texas is after. We'll see how it goes. Outside of Jabbar Muhammad right now, uh, Amari Nyblak, the tight end, uh, out of um, uh, Amari the tight end uh, out of Alabama, and Ben Urasik, the tight end uh, out of Stanford, are the other two that we need to be watching right now, or the other ones that we need to be watching right now. Okay, y'all. Uh, I thought Coach Sipley was ready, but I don't think he is yet. So we'll take a couple of more questions here. 
And James Henson says, I've heard that some fans are concerned about adding talent over existing players. Football is the great meritocracy. If you are the best, you merit playing time. Y'all's thoughts? That's that's absolutely it. And I wanted to add, Texas is adding a lot of pieces from the portal at a place where they are very young across the board at their position. You look at defensive backs and what we've talked about, Jade Barron is the elder statesman in that room. You go out, you lose six guys to the portal. You go out and add Andrew Makuba. You potentially add a Jabbar Muhammad. That's solid replacements for guys that you've already lost in that room. At wide receiver, you're adding three guys with 221 career receptions combined in that room in which you're losing your top five pass catchers from a year ago, three going to the NFL, two depth guys from a year ago, also portal as well. So you lost five guys from, from your wide receiving room uh, just a year ago. Can they – you know, take snaps from the younger guys? Yes. But as I've mentioned all along, you don't necessarily want a lot of freshmen littering your starting roster. That's just not what you want, especially as you move into the SEC. You want guys with production, talent, and experience. That's what Texas is adding in all, or I guess both of these rooms right now specifically. Uh, it's going to bridge the gap into getting the talented youngsters ready physically, mentally, and, you know, get some off the field reps as well uh, to be time for when it's you know, really their time to take over. That's exactly what you want. You don't want them thrown into the fire too early. And you want that gap to be, uh, or that bridge to be seamless in the terms of when it's time for them to take over. Okay, y'all. Well, Coach Shipley is ready. So I'm going to bring him in. And Coach, how you doing this morning? Good. How you guys doing? Good, Coach. Good morning, Coach. What, what, where are you at and how cold is it? That's the first <laughs> I'm in Abilene, Texas, and I haven't even looked at the. It was, it, it's been in the single digits uh, last couple of days, but I imagine it's the upper teens. I hadn't been out yet, so the upper teens. That's great, Coach. Yeah, it sounds like you just went straight to. Hey, uh, something that uh, I, we wanted to bring you in and ask you about, uh, CJ and and I and Blake. Texas and Sark is going. It's pretty clear they're changing what they're doing on offense from a receiver's perspective. Um, with Xavier Worthy and Jordan Whittington and Adonai Mitchell, they kind of had the traditional grouping of receivers. They had the flyer, they had the slot guy, and they had the big tall guy that could win one-on-one -on -one outside, right? Now with Isaiah Bond, Matthew Golden, Silas Bolden, Jonte Cook, those are almost positionless wide receivers. Um, they're smaller. They're not, you know, what What are your thoughts on what Sark is trying to do there? Do you see it like I do where he's just wanting to get more speed on the field as opposed to size as a precursor of what he's trying to do? Well, thanks for having me on this morning. Uh, I, I do think that uh, he's, he's just going after speed. Good night. I mean, you know, these guys can interchange. You can play them inside, outside. That's what I love about what he's doing. We all know he likes to go deep, and he would rather – I think the the kind of ball that Ewers throws probably lends better to a speedy guy than a tall guy. You know, throw it up and over him and let our guys run under it. You know, a lot like uh, X did at Alabama. You know, I mean, it's just – I see that happening a lot next year with the level of speed that we're going to have uh, with our wideouts. And, and certainly um, – it's an advantage offensively when a defensive coordinator can't say, okay, well, you know, they've got this guy in this spot, this guy, they're, they're going to be all over the place. You know, those guys, especially, you know, when you have a guy like, uh, 
you know, Bolden, he, he, you know, he ran the ball some last year too. And not, not to mention his, his punt return capabilities are just, you know, this guy's off the charts, I think. And uh, I, I mean, you know, we, we, a couple of weeks ago, three weeks ago, we were talking about, Oh man, what are we going to do with all these guys? You know, we're losing our top four in production at, at, in that receiver room. And then now we're talking about, Holy moly, could, could this group be better than that's what I'm thinking. I, I mean, I'm just going this, I mean, I, I went from going, Oh man, you know, to going, Hey, this, this, I mean, I don't know how you can improve, but we're working on it. Uh, the, the receiver room from last year. I mean, you lose a ton of leadership in that room. There's no doubt. Um, guys that were big time team culture guys. But when you add this, these guys and these, these guys are from programs that are, that have been successful. They've had success. They've proven that they can, you know, play on the big stage. And, you know, you look at what, uh, you know, Bolden did, uh, you know, out there at West, you know, the games that he had against Utah, the games he had against Oregon, UCLA, uh, you know, 153 all-purpose yards against Utah. I mean, this guy's, you know, but 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 they all bring that same skill set. I don't know about the same, but they all bring something in that really allow them to be uh, very versatile in our offense and very dynamic. And, man, when you can have that, that's – that's exciting. I mean, you've got a six-five guy; he can go up and get a jump ball. That's one thing. But you get a guy like this who can who adds so much more. You can hand the ball on the jet sweep and reverses, and you know there's just a lot of things you can do with them. I I, I got to ask you. I mean, CJ and I were talking about it, Coach. Um, literally, Matthew Golden low four fours, high four threes. Isaiah Bond, state one hundred and two hundred meter champ in Georgia. Ryan Wingo. I, elite 100 meter sprinter, Jonte Cook, uh, another guy that's coming in, Silas Bolden. I mean, literally you may have your, your slowest receiver, maybe four, four, five next year. Yeah. Ten, that's, that's yeah. A, high cotton. It's 10, good. 800 meters is a slow guy, you know, yeah. just in the room, <laughs> you know, that's pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just talking about, you know, Bolden and, you know, Bond and Golden. You're not even talking about, you know, Jonte and Wingo and those guys. I mean, I, I'm, I'm the, you just look at those guys and it's just freaking fires me up, you know, <laughs> to, to, to see, to see this spring, how these guys are incorporated in. And you know, that Quinn's got to just be, you know, licking his chops in this, this level. But I just, I love Sark and the level that his guys are recruiting, you know, and when, you know, when you hear a guy like Sark say in a staff meeting, when we're talking about recruiting, he's like, okay, that's good. Can this guy help us win the national championship? Can we win the national championship with the, if this guy's starting for us? You know, and so you're standing on the table for a guy, and then that makes you kind of go, well, uh, a national champ. I mean, you know, you're looking at what, and at that time, you know, you're looking at what Alabama and Georgia have been doing, and it makes it, it makes it uh, tough. Uh, not, not, t well, it's tougher for a staff, but it's very refreshing to see a staff who has raised the ceiling on the level of athlete we're going to have across the board. And, uh, and obviously winning is going to, you know, winning is, you know, you, you, certainly nothing helps recruiting like winning and, yep. and the attention that we got on the national scale this year, of course, going into the SEC is perfect timing for us. I think this season, and uh, there's a lot of people that are excited about this program across the country. That's proof positive with the type of kids that we're, that we're attracting.
Coach, I have one more question for you, and I'll let CJ jump in after that. Um, one of the questions we just had was about meritocracy in college football and on the team, okay? Uh, what do you think of the situation where some of these transfer portal guys are coming in and they're going to be slotted over guys that maybe have been there a year or two, uh, et cetera? Do you think that's just the nature of college football these days? Do you think that it's about providing a bridge for some of these young guys not to be asked to do too much too soon? I, you're, you've, you've had to deal with this before in, in coaching. What, what is the thought process there about making that a happy median between not too much and not too little to make sure your team's not just too young overall? I mean, what, what are your thoughts about that, that idea of melding the transfer portal into what uh, they have overall? Well, let me start out by saying that it's very difficult as a high school coach today getting your kids out there uh there's it's it's radically changed high school recruiting the portal has uh but the the thing that we have in our favor as i see it is you've got arch over there who is sitting patiently waiting and we all know you know that or we we feel like certainly nothing's a guarantee but that's going to have a really happy ending uh you know whenever that comes to fruition and so you know you you hear people people have crazy statistics about uh, Bobby, we've talked about this off air before you say, okay, well, uh, okay. For every such and such a kid you have, that's going to be one loss, you know, and I've always heard of for every freshman you have, that's going to be at starting. That's going to be a loss, you know, count that as a loss. There's just no way, uh, very rarely can a freshman come in and be play at the level that we need to be playing at, you know? And so I think, uh, for those guys to have, uh, the type of uh, receivers in that room that we're going to have, and, and not just receiver, but but all the positions, you know, iron sharpens iron. And so it's what a great recruiting tool to come in. Okay, say you're say you're a DB, you know, and uh, hey, if you if you want to be the best in the country, come and and cover the best receivers in the country every day in practice. That's that's what that's what got Jordan to UT. Jordan was right on the verge of of swapping, if you remember, to Texas Tech, you know. And um, Major Applewhite just simply told him, look, if your goal is to go catch a ton of balls, go to Tech. You'll catch a ton of balls, you know. If your goal is to sharpen your skills to be the very best receiver you could possibly be to make it to the league, then you need to come work against the best DBs in the country because at that time we truly were DBU. Come and, and, and sharpen your skills against the best DBs every single day in practice, and that will get you to the level. The games will be nothing, and, and that's exactly what happened. Jordan said going against those guys every single day in practice, you go in the game, and you're like, man, I'm, you know, I'm not having the problem that I thought I might have because you go against those All-American type guys every single day. And so even if you're uh, uh, playing the same position as these guys, I think it's it's going to be a great opportunity for kids to sit back and go, wow, that's that they're playing at such a high level, and you don't have to force these young kids into the spotlight, uh, you know, quite as as quickly as you might would have before the portal. But but I, I can't emphasize enough the frustration from high school coaches with the with the portal because I mean it just changes, it can change so fast. You see a kid all of a sudden come on the portal. And you got one spot left, and you're like, uh, okay, Coach Shipley, I uh, hate to call you there at, uh, you know, Redneck High, uh, but 
uh, we got a chance to get uh, a Heisman candidate, you know, and that, we got one spot left. So, you know, that's some tough phone calls. It may, I'm not saying that's happened. I don't know. I know it's happened. I don't know if it's happened at University of Texas, but I know it's happened a lot across the country where they'll drop a high school kid because they had a chance to get a kid on the portal. And, and, and it's, it's tough. It's tough for high school kids. For high school kids, uh, sometimes they have to maybe take a lesser offer and try to make a name for themselves. And then, you know, almost like a minor league. And then once you've had some success and have some college film to show, then, then you try to get your shot at, you know, at, at an SEC school or something. I, I don't know. It's, it's tough. It certainly is. The portal is a, is a weird kind of twist in what we've known as college football to be over the last couple of years, coach. And I actually wanted to ask you about high school recruiting and more specifically junior day in which Texas is, you know, creeping in on a list of a hundred kids coming in for this, this Saturday and, and weekends festivities, I guess from a coaching side of things, from the high school side, when you send kids off to junior days, what is it that you hope to they focus on, on the trip? And then from the parent side, are there any questions that you have specifically in mind whenever you go on these trips that you hope to have answered, whether it be from a position coach or, you know, the head coach himself, whenever you sit down face to face and and really start, you know, establishing that relationship on the visit. Yeah. Well, there, there's an awful lot that I could say about junior days. Uh, One of them, one of them is that it's really hard. Where do you draw the line on who you're bringing in? You know, you don't want to hurt guys feelings at this point. You don't know for sure, you know, who, who you're going to get. Um, and so you don't want to, you know, but we, we used to try to sometimes kind of have a private, you know, like, hey, don't tell anybody, okay? <laughs> but we want you and just a select few guys to come in. So because where do you, I mean, you know, at some point it looks like, you know, uh, a locker plan. I mean, there's just dudes everywhere. You can't focus and spend the time that you want to spend with your, you know, with the with the guys that are essential that you need to get. You know, they need a sense of, they need a sense of urgency. Uh, when they're on campus to see how I'm important to these guys, you know, but as a high school coach, um, you know, I just always told my kids to, you know, don't, don't rule anything out. If you get a chance to go to a junior day, go and just see uh, if you think that's possibly a fit, spend as much time with a position coach as you can see without being too blunt where you are on the list. And I don't think it's uh, out of line to ask, uh, what offers do you have out, you know, at my position and just kind of see where you are, you know, on their list. And it's the same thing as, you know, going and, and, and going to a game in the fall, you know, as many invites as you get, go and experience as many different places as you can. But I think, uh, you know, it's just important for, uh, used to be junior days, uh, kids would just, a lot of them would come by themselves, but now it's a family ordeal. You know, everybody comes and, and so, you know, just have your family uh, ask the tough questions. There's nothing wrong with asking the tough questions. You know, I, I know what, what, you know, what can you do for my son? That's what a lot of people want to know. How do you see my son fitting in here? And then, you know, as a family, again, see if it's a culture you want your kid in. Uh, I think another important thing as a high school coach is to have your prospects when they go visit places on junior days or whatever, talk to as many current players on that team as you can and see if you can get a real feel for, I mean, it can be good and bad. You know, there was a time not, not too long ago, three, four years ago where we would have kids coming on campus and 
players weren't always presenting the staff and the university in the best light, you know, and that's, that's, that's horrible. That is a, that's a toxic situation for recruits coming in. And so, uh, you know, I think it's good to talk to as many kids outside uh, or, or within the program as you can to get a good feel for how they feel about this position coach and what's his style of coaching on the field. What's his style of, of uh, you know, what, what's his expectations of his players and, you know, that type of thing. Let, let me ask you this, coach. What do they do? What do they do on a typical junior day? People have asked us that question. We've tried to answer it, but you've actually been there and gone through it. What's the typical uh, the work and what goes on on a junior day? Well, it's it's just exactly probably as you would imagine. You know, you you want to the, the coaches sit down beforehand and talk about what each, especially their A list guys, what what in your conversations with with this person, whoever it is, John Tay Cook or who, whatever, um, what was in, what was important to him? Okay, this kid and his parents. Uh, academics were really important. We got to get them. He wants to be a uh, uh, engineer. We got to get into the You know, we got Shipley, get it set up over there and make sure you get that kid and his parents to the engineer program. So there are things you do as a group, but there's also things where you pull kids off and take them to go do specific things. Maybe have the president, uh, you know, available in his office, which is really impressive, by the way, uh, to go up in the tower and overlook the balcony uh, on campus is really cool. So you have general things. We we would uh, you know hire some buses to come in and take a tour on the campus. It's difficult for some parents and grandparents to get around. You always have to worry about that because some of them you know it's a, you you don't want them walking across campus. So you tour the you get them on the bus and just tour them around the campus. Uh, you have some faculty representatives who are very pro football. Uh, you know visit with them. Uh, you have a panel of current players and sometimes former players. Uh, that uh, you have and the kids are, you know, everybody leaves, the coaches, staff members, everybody leaves, and it's just the parents, the families, the recruits, and and some players or ex-players, and, and there's no there's no off limits. You ask them anything you want. I always thought that was that was impressive and was a healthy thing to do. But uh, it's just it's just building that relationship with them before they get there so that you know your ace top guys, A-list guys. You've got to get them where they want to be, and you may be pulling some kids out here and there. But you know, they've got to. Unfortunately, you know, they've got to. They got to pay for the way up there and all that stuff. You know, and you have a meal that, that they have to pay for. But you know, you want you want that to be impressive as well. And then sometimes, you know, if it's if it's in the springtime, uh, you know, have a little pool party, and uh, that's always that's always fun. Invite a few co-eds out, and uh, you know. That's always fun to watch the mamas and daddies as they see that. <laughs> the moms and dads don't like that part so much. Well, man. the dads, I shouldn't say mom and dads, the dads, <laughs> you know, the moms, not, not so much. You're a treasure. We appreciate you each and every uh, Wednesday coming on here with us and whatnot. You've got football theory with Rod Babers. Uh, tomorrow afternoon and we got some other plans for you as well in the future uh, thank you so much coach and uh you stay warm I, I thought the best to comment by the way you know we we ask everybody where they're from to put it in the comment section and now we're asking them how cold it is everywhere the best the best uh answer so far today was 
It's 71 here in my recliner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that fits that fits me pretty well too. Yeah, hey, you guys have a good day. As always, thanks for having me on, man. Coach, thanks, thanks for coming on. Take care. Hook yeah, take care. <laughs> oh, Hi, everybody. <laughs> Coach Bob Shipley, always a great guest, no doubt about that. And uh, don't forget, we got plenty of time to get your questions. So, answer, or I'm sorry, ask them. We'll get to as many as we can. And we're going to take this one from Bobby Betronic. And he says, how are we on Scully numbers with all of these portal transfers coming in? Legitimate question. Um, and it, it's not a easy answer um, because uh, I, I want to say this. They're at 87 right now is my understanding. Uh, they have to be to 85. Uh, by the time uh, fall rolls around. Um, but the, the reality of it is, is Texas, like there's not a lot of easy cuts coming up for Texas. And that's that's a reality. Burt Auburn is still not on scholarship at that 87 number. I mean, consider that. So really you're looking at probably, they probably want a scholarship Burt Auburn. And so you're probably really at 88. Um. But what, what is happening right now, and I think that this is something that people have to get settled with, is they're going to make earlier calls on younger players going forward. Younger players are going to see they don't have a chance to play as quickly as maybe they thought they would. Um, and so I, I look at probably three to five more into the, into the, uh, uh, into the uh, portal at the in the April time frame. Um, and yes, it's it's not like Texas has a lot of dead weight on its roster right now. That's that's a credit to Sark, but also uh, speaks to where this roster is going, in my opinion. There are times where in the last 10, 15 years, you could easily have cut 10 to 15 guys and it not hurt, right? Now you're getting down to a situation where these guys actually have some some uh, ability and there's going to need to be some of that. Um, and so I, I don't think it's an easy answer. I, I think it's a very difficult one uh, and nuanced. But I do believe there's at least three to five, maybe more, maybe six, seven uh, that that uh, will will be going in the uh, the uh, portal uh, in that April time frame. Then we have a super chat from David, and David asks, I thought we had recruited the defensive line well over the past three years, but now it's an area of desperate need, apart from Sweat, Murphy, and Trill, or their bust in attrition. And just not a lot of signees. I mean, look, I mean, one year all they signed was Aaron Bryant, right? Um, one year all they signed was Sadir Mitchell. Um, and so Zach Swanson uh, has not was never considered a big time defensive line prospect. Uh, Aaron Bryant wasn't considered a big time defensive line prospect. Uh, Jeray Bledsoe is a extremely talented young guy, but he's also young and hasn't really filled out yet. Um, I think that, uh, you know, Bo Davis was a terrific developer of talent. I don't know that he was a terrific recruiter of talent. Other than Mitchell and Bledsoe, I don't know that he signed what I would consider blue chip guys, maybe January and Robinson as well in this last one. But really, the only two blue chip guys that that uh, that uh, Bo Davis signed were Sadir Mitchell out of New Jersey 
and Jare Bledsoe. That's a that's a guy that was a true freshman this year and a true sophomore this year. That that has not been a, a pocket of strength for Bo Davis or Texas. And while we're on the subject of that, Texas Wabash says, I'm worried about Brandon Brown, the 2025 defensive lineman commit, decommitting. He mentioned Bo Davis is a big reason he committed. Brown is a monster. DJ, what do you think about that? Yeah, I mean, that's the risk you run anytime a coach moves on or a coach, you know, is removed from where he was. Uh, coach Davis moving to LSU, you, we have, we've obviously seen how much implication – that has on recruiting Jamar Caldwell ending up at Oregon, uh, DeAndre Robinson not ending up on campus as a result uh, of Bo Davis moving out to the Bayou. So Brandon Brown, that's a fair question. It's a fair concern because that's exactly, you know, one of the biggest reasons why he was able to commit and sign or feel comfortable committing to Texas was because of Bo Davis and his history of development. I believe he committed to Texas prior to even visiting campus. And so uh, he's on our list for this weekend. He's a guy that we expect to see come into Texas this weekend. And if Texas is able to smooth in the waters right there and really allow him to feel comfortable with Sarkeesian, with the campus, with the uh, program in general, that could help you know retain his commitment uh, despite having almost an entire year ahead of him to fend off teams from his backyard. But yes, Bo Davis was a big part of his recruitment. Bo Davis was quick to allow uh, the Texas – to staff to green light him into the 2025 class. So that's going to be a hurdle that they're going to have to overcome now that Bo Davis is no longer in burnt orange. And then while we're on the subject of defensive linemen, Arthur Wood says any word on getting more, we need more guys. Are there any recruits that Texas is sitting in a good position for? Obviously it's hard without a coach name, but anybody y'all feel could be next possible. Well, I mean, look, I, there's nobody in the high school level other than Alex Foster that they're interested in right now. Okay. So let's take high school level away and let's talk about portal. There is nobody that is currently in the portal at defensive tackle that has been green lit. Okay. That they're going to go on. Now, does that mean if somebody else doesn't enter the portal is somebody from Alabama, like a Jaheim Otis or somebody from Arizona or Washington go into the por portal that that couldn't change their minds. Absolutely. But right now, I feel like unless some of those guys go in the portal, we're going to have to wait and see what happens in that April 15th to April 30th timeline. Who goes in the portal then and what what matters? Because I will tell you right now, uh, Texas is in desperate. Desperate is not the right word, but Texas is in definite need and is aware of the need at defensive tackle for next year, period. And so they will be aggressive when the time comes. Okay, guys, we're going to move on to a different position on the defense. Garrett Glover says, is Texas the favorite to land Jabbar Muhammad? I saw he's visiting Texas today and Alabama Friday, but he hasn't scheduled an Oregon visit yet. Well, Texas made a, a quick push for Jabbar Muhammad, except they weren't the first team to visit him on Saturday after his portal entry, and that was Oregon. So, while they, he hasn't scheduled that Oregon visit yet, you know, it is worth uh, mentioning that Oregon was very quick to visit him. And I think that is something to watch. We've talked about Oregon and Texas being the two schools right now, uh, kind of jockeying for that top spot for Jabbar Muhammad. Texas getting the first crack at him on campus is going to be big. Uh, obviously, the family ties there. 
with uh, uh, Malik on campus, uh, Billy Walton on campus. The, the family is also close with Jonte Cook. Uh, those South Dallas ties are going to help Texas in this direction. Though, again, you have to remember that you're you're dealing with a, an all-pack 12 cornerback. You know, there are going to be demands that uh, Texas will have to, to meet, as other schools will as well. So Oregon is the team to watch there, despite not necessarily having a plan in place to go up to Eugene. Uh, they made it very clear that he is a priority to them. They hope to see him uh, as a duck next year. And Texas is not necessarily the shoe in you would expect with the family tie. So it's going to be a battle through and through for Jabbar Muhammad. I don't think Alabama is that concerning in this, in yeah, this category. I, I would say that they're, they're spending so much time on keeping what they've got, even though they are recruiting Muhammad because he obviously played for Kalen DeBoer last year at Washington. Uh, we'll see. Uh, I, but I, I think this is Oregon, Texas, guys. And I, I do think that Oregon holds the cards as of yesterday. Now, does that change with an official visit to Texas? Uh, has Texas changed his mind, et cetera? That's going to be that's that's a question for today, uh, not something that was asked yesterday. So we'll see if something changes in the next 24, 48 hours. And, and, and as somebody rightfully noted, by the way, when Sark goes after someone in the portal, it's not like he's been missing very often. So keep that in mind, too. Very true, Bobby. One position we haven't talked much about with all this portal talk is punter. And Jesse Ullman says, is there any information on who next year's punter might be? Well, Michael Kern coming out of the, the 2024 class is, is looking like he might be the only one on campus for the time being. Texas could obviously move in, in, into the portal and go grab a, a grad transfer or someone along the lines of that. Maybe someone that doesn't take up a scholarship spot, as we've mentioned uh, the numbers are getting pretty tight there. So if that comes into consideration, it, it it might be just down to Michael Kern in 2024 if the numbers don't work uh, logistically and, and, and scholarship-wise. So something to monitor. But for now, I mean, it's a, it's a thin room right there. There is going to be a tall task to replace the, the efforts from Ryan Sanborn from a year ago because punting the football, albeit kind of a weird deal, uh, it's going to sound weird, but it was a strength for this Texas team last year. Um, they did very well. And I, I think Texas is also in a spot where they need to find two gunners as well. I think we've talked about Trey Wisner being in that con consideration. Uh, but who else joins him on the opposite side? I think that is going to be a big part of the 2024 roster construction and obviously the play on the field. How would y'all feel about that? The Texas only punting option being a true freshman coming in with no collegiate experience. I mean, obviously it's not like a quarterback by any means, but punting's still important. Well, what are y'all thoughts on that? Well, I'd rather it be a, a freshman punter than a freshman kicker. If you have to pick a specialist, uh, punting, I think is something that, albeit a big part of the game, it's one of those things where you catch and you kick. You know, there's not much mind to it. Uh, I, I think – I don't want to downplay punting because it is a tough spot. I myself love punting a football. I think it's very fun. Uh, but in the grand scheme of things, it is a pretty mindless one-two, um, you know, that's your job. Go out and do it. So it doesn't take the, the most upperclassmen, the elder statesmen on campus to be able to do that. Uh, I, I would actually be a little bit surprised if Texas did go out and add a scholarship uh, punter as a result of, you know, Michael Kern being the only guy on campus right now. You, you got to remember they added Daniel Trejo out of the portal and he wasn't, he was a walk-on. He wasn't even a, a scholarship guy. 
Um, and so I, I feel like they'll they'll give that a role at first. Uh, and they that that was not even a uh, a move until that didn't happen until August, by the way. So they ran punters are a little bit different, specialists a little bit different in that you can wait until the last minute and maybe get a lower level punter to move up a level. Uh, just think of it that way. It's it's not as pressing, even though it's important. I'm not saying it's not important. It's just there's more latitude. There's more guys. Um, you may He may average 40 or 42 yards a punt instead of 45 like Ryan Sanborn, though. That, that's the difference. Hey, guys, we're going to move on here, and we're going to take this question from Arch Mania. He says, how do we really feel about Blackshire? His build is a beast, but he's, is he Jalen Ford fast or fast enough? I don't think speed. Yeah, I, I think for the role that Texas envisions him in, he'll be just fine, and that is within the box, coming downhill. I don't think he's a guy that you'll see in obvious passing situations. You won't see him on a lot of third downs in which – you know, there's 10 or 12 to go because that is a spot where he can get picked on a little bit. Uh, in limited snaps in a role that I think is fit specifically for him, he will be just fine. And then this next question is, uh, again, on Blackshire from Trace. He says, are there any thoughts on Coach Nansen's influence on the Blackshire take? I don't know that he was involved in this even uh, because he. I think this was in the works prior to his arrival. Uh, Texas wanted to get more uh, experience uh, and age in that uh, in that linebacker room. And they didn't necessarily need a true starter uh, from it. They needed a, a guy that was going to provide some depth. I kind of liken this, by the way, to the addition of Gavin Holmes at corner last year. Gavin Holmes was a good player last year. Not a great player, not a full-time starter. But are you really happy you had Gavin Holmes when Ryan Watts went down with injury? When, uh, you know, they had to worry about other injuries, potentially Terrence Brooks, uh, Manny Muhammad, et cetera. Yes, that that there are levels here. And that's kind of where I'm thinking with the black shark. OK, y'all, well, Texas just posted a video and we're going to bring it up here. Of course, every, you know, all the early enrollees getting on campus and a little bit of their experience thus far. Hold on. Hey, Blake, you got to turn the sound off, bud. I'm Zeno Mosolo. I'll try on. Sorry about that, Bobby. Yeah, me. it's okay, man. <laughs> you know they're cold. Yeah, there's no doubt. That's Brand is that Brandon Baker? Is that who that is? Or no, that's Daniel Cruz, right? Daniel, yeah, Daniel Cruz. Cruz. He's got the right idea with that jacket. That's for sure. <laughs> Who's that? Who is that, CJ? That's Zeno Mozula. Him and Trey walking in. They got him in the front row. That's a sign of a a, a good student right there. They, they, they got the memo. A little smart popcorn. Smart man. Smart popcorn in the morning. <laughs> I don't hate it. Welcome to college. <laughs> All right. Good stuff, Blake. Good stuff. Oh, man. Yeah, there we go. <clears throat> well, hey, look, I mean, it, it's uh, I, I remember my first day on the 40 acres walking to class. It was about 102 degrees. That's what I <laughs> I got on one of those laid law buses. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, I sweated all the way around to the government building. Burdine, I think is the name of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we've had a lot of people join since we first talked about Nye Black earlier in the show. We're getting a lot of questions about that and tied in recruiting in general. So we're going to go back and touch on that. Garrett Glover, any update on his recruitment? We need to fill the tight end position. Yeah, absolutely. I, I kind of wonder what's going on there. I think that he is officially in the portal league. Uh, um, and we know Texas is interested. So there is no doubt Texas is interested. Uh, I expect Texas to be a player in this recruitment. I also expect Georgia to be a player in the recruitment. Um, and Texas and Georgia are somewhat similarly situated, although Georgia's probably a little deeper at the tight end position at this point than Texas. Uh, they're also fighting over Ben Urasik, the tight end grad transfer from Stanford. So both teams going after two similar guys. Uh, Nyblack more of a wide open passing attack guy, Eurosic more of the complete tight end package. Um, and so, uh, look, is Steve Sarkeesian uh, trying to get him in on an official visit immediately? Absolutely, probably so. Um, is Steve Sarkeesian even in Tampa trying to get him to visit like he did with Isaiah Bond going to Georgia? Maybe. I don't. I, we don't know. He Sark canceled uh, some time in Houston today rescheduled it for Friday. So I don't know if that's solely because Jabbar Muhammad's coming in or if Sark is going somewhere else instead or a combination of factors. Uh, but I do believe Texas is trying to get going to go hard on Amari Nyblack. Yeah, I, I think with your and Nyblack, Texas and Georgia specifically, it'll be a split between the two schools with both guys. I think that's the early indications I have right there. Uh, who will go where? I think that's up to who falls first. I think, you know, I think both schools will, will be in the market to take a, a tight end. Obviously, both are very talented. Both are considering both schools. Who falls first will obviously, I think, dictate where the other ends up. And then while we're on the subject of that, Nick says, why isn't Eurosec draft bound? It looks like he had the production prior to this new scheme he was in this year. Um, that's a good question. Uh, and he could always pull it out right now, but I, I think that he probably wants to have another, uh, year uh, of a production. Christopher mentioned his injury this year as well. That's obviously a contributing factor. I think that's part of why Jade Barron's coming back. Uh, Jade was, had a toe injury he dealt with almost all year that I think slowed him down a little bit and not look as good in coverage as he wanted to look. Um, injuries are part, part of it. Uh, some guys, though, go regardless. Um, I think that Eurasic probably wants to get in a less. Uh, let me say this. Look, the Stanford offense was very pro style oriented under David Shaw. OK, almost uh, antiquated pro style and not this stuff that you see now where they're flexing the tight end out so much and using the Travis Kelsey's of the world. No. And so he needs to get into a different style of offense to prove his versatility. Otherwise, he's going to be locked into being one type of tight end where he thinks he actually pass catching actually may be his calling card as opposed to being an inline tight end. Yep. So you got to think about all of those things. 
Okay, guys. Then we're going to circle back to Silas Bolden as well because we're getting some questions about how he may be used. Robert Muhammad says, you think they'll throw more medium and deep passes since the receivers are smaller and probably not as good of blockers for the short passing game? That was a thought I had. I, I kind of thought that if you're adding, you know, six foot one eighty five, six foot one ninety, and, and and duplicating that throughout the offense, there's not that necessarily big bodied target or, or or really big body blocker that Texas has used with the Jordan Whittington and obviously tried to make Ad Mitchell uh, a, a little bit of a blocker early on in the season. We've quickly learned that wasn't necessarily a strength of his game, but it's a big strength of the Sarkeesian offense. Uh, so what does that mean for twenty twenty four? I'm not sure if we'll see as much of it. Texas used about 28, 29% of its passes from Quinn Ewers behind the line of scrimmage. I'm not necessarily going to say that they're going to keep that up next year, but there will still be a behind the, uh, behind the line of scrimmage factor in the Sarkeesian offense. I think it's toned down a bit as a result, but this opens up the entire offense to being threats in the, the quick RPO game, uh, the quick slants, the quick uh, arrow routes from the, the slot as well. I think that, you certainly open up the deep threat as a result of having guys on the field that can stretch the field vertically as well. Uh, I actually wanted to point to the Alabama Xavier Worthy touchdown in which he ran a backside post and was wide open as, as a result of cover four. The, uh, the backside safety had to take the, the deep threat. That was Jontae Cook who ran about a 12-yard stop and had to commit once he made it past a certain aspect of the field and knew because of his speed he was somebody that he had to key in on on the pre-snap. So that opened up the backside post for Xavier Worthy to run past his defender. That is something that all defenders will have to be uh, 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 at least a, a little bit aware of with this new Texas offensive loadout uh, at the wide receiver position. Because as we've mentioned, they all can run, you know, sub 10-8. And in most instances, many of them are 10-5. The speed is going to be abundantly clear with uh, who's on the field next year. And it's no longer going to be, all right, where's A.D. Mitchell? Uh, where's Xavier Worthy? We don't really need to key in on too heavily where everybody else is. It's going to be kind of a cloned offense with what you see with Texas, and that's very exciting, as we've mentioned all along. Add add Ryan Wingo to that list of 10-5 guys. Yeah, absolutely. That you're posting there, people that are listening on uh, on a podcast right now. Matthew Golden, Isaiah Bond, Silas Bolden. Bond and Bolden, both 10-5 guys. Uh, Ryan Wingo, 10-5 as well. At six two, so yeah. that's your big body. <laughs> yeah, that's that's insane. All right, guys, we're going to talk more about the Texas offense in just a second. But first, Bobby, I'm going to let you tell everybody about Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm. Yeah, absolutely. We really appreciate Adam and his group at the Lowy Law Firm. Uh, they've been helping injured Texans for uh, a couple of decades now. Uh, essentially, if you've been injured in a car wreck, uh, truck wreck, uh, any even even a a uh, situation where it's been on your motorcycle, what have you. Adam and his group have been helping you, uh, helping people out for decades. 512-280-0800 uh, or reach out to him at lowylawfirm.com. Give them, he gives you a free consultation uh, if you give him a call and to let you know whether or not you he thinks you deserve a uh, compensation as well. Uh, that's a free consultation, no strings attached. 512 280 0800lowylawfirm.com. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, I want to thank them for sponsoring each and every Thursday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday, right here on Coffee and Football, getting ahead of myself here. All right, MLH10 says, well, Texas needs to lean more on the offense going into the first year in the SEC if we don't get a lot of help on defense. 
will yours improve and become more consistent? Absolutely. I think you saw the jump from year year one in Sarkeesian's offense to year two in Sarkeesian's offense, and that led Texas to a college football playoff. I know that there's been knocks about Quinn Ewers. You know, he can be better passing the ball deep. He can be better at throwing the ball quick. All in all, Quinn Ewers was a very good quarterback this year, and Texas is, you know, the top he, – uh, they finished third in the country with Quinn Ewers as their quarterback. I mean, I, I, I think he's been pretty good as a Texas Longhorn. Um, so, yes, I think it is fair to also expect a jump in uh, in play and performance going into year three. And I think this – I don't want to call it more talented group of wide receivers because Texas had two guys that were going to be hearing their names called in the top 45 picks. But I think it's a deeper, more uh, uh, able group from, you know, positions one through three, maybe even four next year in terms of what you'll see on the field uh, – in terms of getting Quinn Ewers, you know, more production after the catch as well. So I think you'll see a jump. And I also think that this will be an offense that is clicking as a result of returning four out of five offensive starters on the offensive line, uh, a one-two punch of CJ Baxter and Jaden blue. And obviously if Texas goes out and finds an addition at tight end to go with Gunnar Helm, there's not really a weak spot right now on this Texas offense. So the numbers should be better. Uh, and older Quinn Ewers will improve the offense as well by himself and we've talked about it, the wide receivers this past year lifting the play of Quinn Ewers. Now it's time for Ewers to lift the play of the, the, the wide receiving weapons that he has at his disposal. I think it's going to be a big year for Quinn Ewers next season. I love it. I, I love it. If, if, that's, if that's the question that we have going into 2024, that's a, that's, that's a positive. Because um, you saw the stats that uh, Blake just put up there. 58% completion percentage heading into – uh, this year or, or from 2022 ups that to 69% in a single year. Okay. It is not without, it is not, it is not out of the question that he ends up in the mid 70 range next year, 73, 74, 75%. That would be tremendous, right? The thing that I look for a little bit differently for him to improve on CJ is the TD to interception ratio. Um, in 2022, 15 TDs, six interceptions. Last year, 22 and six. So a little less than four to one, right? Three and a half to one. We want to see him get to four to five to one. And we probably need to see those TDs up to 30. That's where he can really get better uh, with work in the red zone. And I do think to, to the question, the general question, yes, Texas is going to have to be offensive heavy next year. They, they yeah. have un, un, unquestionably, yes, that offense is going to have to carry them at times because I do not think the defensive front with the loss of Tavondre Sweat and Byron Murphy is going to be as good. And Jalen Ford. I mean, that was a team strength this year. So I do think that the team strength is going to have to switch a little bit, even though, I mean, look, uh, y'all saw the athletic article and they had Worthy, Mitchell, and JT Sanders all within the first two rounds of the NFL draft. So that is that is replacing a lot. Yeah. And then real quick, six interceptions, year one, six interceptions in year two. Year two just happened to have over 100 more uh, passing attempts as well. So that's something to monitor as well. I think that you've certainly begun to understand the, the nuances of playing quarterback in uh, Power 5 football for Queen Ewers. That will continue this year. 
Okay, guys, we're going to stay on the uh, offense theme here for a minute. Fresh6473 says, do you guys think the offensive line will struggle against the bigger, faster SEC defenses? Yes. But not, not yes, but not inordinately so. Right? Like, everybody struggles against bigger, faster SEC def defenses, but not inordinately so. Um it doesn't mean I expect more sacks or anything like that because Steve Sarkeesian is also going to call a slightly different game. Maybe that's one of the reasons why he wants speed out there so they can get open quicker. I mean, there's a lot of different pieces to this, guys. Um, and so it's hard to man up guys if they're speed guys off the line of scrimmage if they're not directly on the line of scrimmage and lined up there. So – Sark is doing what he does. I feel like it will definitely be a bigger trial and, and for the, the Texas offensive line, but it's not something that I'm worried about. Like, I, I think that's just an accepted fact, and they're going to have to deal with it. I think Texas will struggle a little bit more on the interior. I think that will be where you see the biggest difference from the Big 12 to the SEC in terms of defensive line opponents uh, is the big boys that play the nose, that play the three-tech. We know how impactful those spots can be with having watched Sweat and Murphy dominate almost every single game that they played in this year. Uh, but Texas has played really good edge rushers in the Big 12. Let's not forget they've faced what is expected to be four first-round uh, picks off the edge in the last two seasons alone. I wouldn't necessarily say Kelvin Banks had a, his hands full or at least a bad day with, with any of them. I think uh, actually Tyler Booker, the edge out of Kansas, was the one who said he gave him the most troubles. And that was after going against, you know, Tyree Wilson, Felix and Duque, Uzoma, and uh, Will Anderson as a true freshman. So I think that you feel good about the edges uh, at, at the tackle spots. We'll obviously see how Cam Williams or Hayden Connor figures into that right tackle spot. But the interior is where I'm looking specifically for the biggest impact or, uh, you know, kind of step that they have to overcome heading into the SEC. David Williams says, I think Quinn Ewers is a good quarterback now and can be great. I think the UT offense should be a run-first offense and not pass-first. The offensive line is stronger run blocking, and Texas has four out of five starting level running backs. Or four or five, excuse me. I don't have a problem with that. I think that they need to be able to do both. That's what, if anything taught you what Sark wants to do this year, how many times in post-game CJ did he mention the versatility that they won games in different ways? I mean, what, every all single game, basically? Time. Yeah. Seemingly every game we heard it. Yeah. And so I don't think it's one way or the other that he wants to necessarily be able to win. I think he wants to be able to poke and prod and figure it out. Then we have a question about Ryan Niblett from Emmanuel Villafranco. He says, what role does he play next season? Well, I think he's a slot guy. I think he's a possible kick and punt returner. Let's see, though. I mean, look, it, it, it's it's going to be a situation where we're going to have to see if he is a natural pass catcher. I don't know if he's going to have a defined role. Maybe he's a gunner. We'll see. And then you mentioned uh... – Returning game, Bobby MLH says, "Who do you think takes over on punt returns?" <laughs> lots I think it's lots of weapons. Job now, buddy. Unless unless it's Jonte Cook, and Jonte Cook is somehow better. 
I think Silas Bolden just said that, that job's probably mine. Well, what about kick returns, guys? I mean, obviously, they've added a couple more. You got to think Golden is in the mix there, obviously, on kick returns. Who else? Dude, Matthew Golden had had all of nine kick returns this year and returned two of them for touchdowns. He averaged 35 yards a kick return. Matthew Golden is one kick returner. The question I have is who's the other one? Because Jaden Blue looked pretty darn good at it to me in the national semifinal. Um, now, maybe you don't want to risk your starting one of your two starting running backs out there in kick returns, um, which is I almost feel like that's almost exactly why they took Jaden Blue out in the second half because Cedric Baxter was injured a little bit in that first half uh, against Washington, and so they didn't want to they didn't want to risk losing Jaden Blue too. Yeah. Um, I don't think it'll be Savion Red. I'll put it that way. Uh, Savion Red was back there a lot as the second as the second guy. I just don't see that happening next year, but uh, we'll see. I mean, Matthew Golden and and X. I don't know who yet. I don't know who X is. Uh, Chance asks, how much run do y'all think Gibson will get this year? Running back room is stacked, but he's already looking like he could be the short yardage back. Well, I think you have your short yardage back in CJ Baxter. I think what he brings from a physicality size or from a, a size specific uh, approach, you know, he's a 6'2 running back. That's around 215, 220. And I think he's a, a big body, bigger than what Texas has in that room right now. But Jarek Gibson, yes, you see the, the photos of him in shirts and a T-shirt. I mean, he looks like he's been in a college weight room for several years right now. He's very impressive uh, just from the, the, the naked eye. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm eager to see what kind of role he's able to carve out short yardage potentially uh but i think he's you know also able to catch passes out of the backfield that was something that stood out to me in orlando when i was watching him at under armor all american practices uh, i wouldn't necessarily classify him as a, a one trick pony at the running back position simply because that's not the type of running back to to, to shard choice recruits you got to be able to do everything in this texas offense and that's the type of guys that they go after Hey, CJ, just turning it real quick towards the tw January 20th Junior Day, because we're, we're running late on time here. Uh, but Jordan Davison is coming in, uh, the young man out of uh, Santa Ana Modern Day, uh, along with, I think I the last count I had, 25 four- or five-star prospects will be on campus. Uh, we've, we're already up to 93 prospects as a total uh, throughout the 2025, 26, and 27 classes. Uh, any other big names like uh, the linebacker group looks outstanding. The wide receiver group group looks outstanding. The offensive line group. Is there anything I mean that we need to talk about and get people get on people's radar for this junior day? In your opinion, I, I think you know we've obviously talked about the linebackers being a strength, uh, the offensive line being a strength. Texas is only bringing in three edge rushers, and I think that's worth mentioning because all three of them have been very highly touted, very highly recruited. And guys that Texas has been familiar with for a while, Kamar and Morgan out of Red Oak, Lance Jackson out of Pleasant Grove, and uh, uh, who's the third? It's losing me here. Chad Woodfork out of Summer Creek, who visited in the summer, uh, late January, and almost gushed over seeing former high school teammate and uh, classmate Kelvin Banks kind of be that leader on campus. That was something that really caught his attention. Texas being very specific with who they target off the edge, and these are three guys who 
or right outside or right inside that top 100 national rankings right now uh, in the state of Texas. Not a deep cycle at the edge spot, but these three are separating themselves from the rest of the pack, and Texas is able to get all three on campus. I think that's something to monitor this weekend. Well, we have a super chat from Kevin Jones that we need to get to, guys, before we get out of here. And uh, Kevin says, people are concerned about the sizes of our running backs and wide receivers compared to SEC linemen. I remember Emmett Smith was told when he entered the NFL draft that he was too small for the NFL. And I'm going to bring this picture up while y'all talk about this. This is a lot of the Texas running back room. Obviously, Anthony Hill there to your left, uh, Baxter, Clark, and then Gibson. But they look, look how wide! Look how wide Jared Gibson's shoulders are on the far <laughs> right. Good lord! How does yeah. he do doors? <laughs> I mean, seriously. Um, I, I feel like you know people worrying about size. Uh, Sark has a plan for this. I mean, he's clearly saying I size is a part of it, but it's not not what I'm worried about in 2024. He's going with speed in 2024, guys. Bolden, Bond, Golden. I mean, look, he's made his choice. This is what we're going to look like in 24. Deal with it. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I feel like, uh, you know, when we talked to Bob Shipley, Shipley earlier and asked him about this, look, I mean, he thinks it fits what Quinn does too. I thought that was interesting, CJ. Didn't you? That, that was a little bit of a takeaway from when Bob talked. He says, I think these these guys Quinn's more of a, a not a flat ball deep thrower, but a, a uh, over the top deep ball thrower. Run that under it. Run under it. it yep. You know what I mean? Is that did that that kind of take you by surprise and have you nodding your head when when Shipley said that? I find the aspect of throwing the ball deep that's absolutely the case. That's what we've seen with Quinn Ewers. I'm going to be eager to see that RPO slant ball and how he's able to get the ball to those receivers. Because I think that's a big vision of Sarkeesian's is the quick game, get the ball out quick and let them work after the catch. That's going to be, as we've talked about, and you've mentioned it, the addition of a fastball, a true heater. When the catcher puts down the number one and you're able to rear back and throw an extra gear, can Quinneers do that and get the ball to his guys uh, in space so they can cook? I think that will be also a big stepping stone in 2024 for 20 years. Okay, guys, this will be the last question for today. Then we better get out of here, and we're going to have you call your shot early. Emmanuel Villafranco, <laughs> will Sark have a 1,000-yard rusher next season? When is he not? Yep. <laughs> I mean, that that's the bigger question. So, yes, I think he will. My question is, who's it going to be? Yep. Um. You know, who who is it going to be? Because Jaden Blue looks so good last year at times. Um, and Jaden Blue, I, to be fair, he mixes really well with the speed on offense. I mean, if you're wanting to score every time you touch the ball, um, Jaden Blue may be that guy. Uh, C.J. Baxter may be the between the 20. I, I just don't – or inside the 20s guy. I, I don't know if it'll be Baxter or Blue, but – or someone else, but my guess is yes, he'll have a thousand yard rusher next year. Yep. I, I take it you agree, CJ. <laughs> yeah, no, with, with with blue, I think the step for him to get really that RB1 kind of volume share is can he pass protect? You talk about his weapon out of the backfield, talk about him between the tackles and running the football. 
The next step for him is being able to be a positive or even a net neutral in the sense of pass protecting because if he's in the game, you know he's not going to stay in and block. So that's going to be, you know, something that tendency breakers look for uh, when game planning against Texas. That's not necessarily what Sarkeesian likes. He wants to be able to do anything from any set, any formation, any, any you know, down and distance. And so for Blue to take over that, that, that true RB1 spot, it's going to be a little bit of a, of a ramping up period in the pass protecting. Otherwise, he's you know, been, a, been proven to be a plus in just about every asset of the game as a running back. All right, guys. Well, Bob, before we get out of here, let everybody know what they can expect later today right here on On Texas Football. I know you got some stuff coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Stay in the program. Myself and Rod Baber is going to get together and talk about uh, all aspects of it. Going to talk a little bit about the receiver room. Going to talk about some portal stuff uh, as well. Uh, and then we have the live stream tonight, Rod and CJ, uh, along with Ray Peters. Uh, and then tomorrow we've got uh, another uh, live stream coming uh, just a lot of stuff going on. Really going to try to focus the next 24 or 48 hours on Jabbar Muhammad, Amari Nyblak, Ben Urasik, as well as the defensive line coach. Those are the stories right now for me uh, as it relates to the Longhorns and, and what's going on. And something breaking could happen at any time, especially on those stories Bobby mentioned. So there's no better time than now to subscribe and ring that bell so you're notified anytime we go live or post a video. You don't want to miss any of that Texas-related breaking news, and we'll keep you up to date right here on On Texas Football. But thank you all for tuning in. Thank you for the super chats. Got to thank Adam Lowy and the Lowy Law Firm for being a sponsor of today's show. And for Bobby Burton and CJ Vogel, I'm Blake Monroe, and we'll see you next time. Thanks. Stay warm. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.